everyone thanks for tuning in this is episode number 81 and today i will be continuing in the reading from hosting his presence we'll be in chapter six and the title of this chapter is i am loved before i jump straight into it um, i do want to mention this came into my into my mind today and and i think it's something that i would like to pursue if there is anything specific topics specific questions that maybe you've come across or that you're curious to learn more about um, in scripture um, maybe even something that you'd like you know topically to to be dive you know dived into a little deeper um, I'd be more than happy to, um, to to look into those questions or interests that you have uh, so if you would uh, send those to me um, I'll include, again, my email uh, that you can send those requests to, um, but I would be more than happy to, to look at those and and see what we can get out by way of, of episodes in this podcast. So um, please do that, and I uh, would like to hear um, even from you know where you're listening from. Um, I think la- by last count, there was near 35 35 to 40 different countries represented um, here through the through the podcast so it's incredible and uh, but I'd love to connect with you all more individually I think that would be incredible and awesome so um, reach out to me through email also there is a a Facebook page that I have the uh, Bible study podcasts um, that that link is also available in the uh, description, uh, the episode notes. Uh, so find that and, and connect with me there. I'd love to uh, get to know you all a little more personally and uh, you know, intimately. So there's that. So we will jump into chapter 6, titled, I Am Loved. Most Christians will say amen to this phrase, but I dare say a great many do not begin to understand what exactly is contained in these words. Even as I began to write on such a daunting topic, I feel the magnitude of what this little phrase entails. In no way will this exploration be exhaustive, but where should one begin with such a statement? I would imagine that the very first verse that comes to mind for most Christians is the classic John 3.16 verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do as many people know the following verse. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We must understand what the word world encompasses because it is for that reason God gave his son. The Greek word for world, cosmos, means universe or the sum total of all created things. 
the word universe is defined as all of space and time, all matter, and everything that exists. Scientists tell us that the universe continues to expand and has done so since its creation. As the universe continues to grow through time, so does God's love never end or have limits. The ever-expanding universe requires an ever-expanding love of all created things. God took time to create each created thing and therefore designates value to it. Do not just interpret John 3.16 to mean only people. The original word is cosmos, that is all things. Many of us understand why Jesus came for us, but we need insight into why Jesus died for all things. We lack a revelation of the created value of nature and all living things. We see only from the lens of self-worth and self-value. There is no doubt that humanity is God's masterpiece and that we have been given unique availability, not accessible to other created things. However, God is after a restoration of origins. He is after a restoration of original intention. Disorder reigned when the soul was elevated beyond the spirit. The salvation of the soul became necessary and a disordered cosmos required restoration. Before we can ever get into discovered identity, we must be able to grasp what it means to be loved by God. One critical starting place begins with John 17 during Jesus' prayer in the garden. In John 17, 23, Jesus says, You live fully in me, and now I live fully in them, so that they will experience perfect unity, and the world will be convinced that you have sent me, for they will see that you love each one of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. Jesus says that you will have a revelation that God loves each one of his children with the same passionate love that God has for Jesus. Have we given that revelation the opportunity to take root in our hearts? God loves us with the same passionate love that he has for Jesus. That should give us a new joy, a new peace, a new purpose, and a new passion. Being loved by God means I am the object of his desire. We can understand how Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, or Reinhard Bonnke can be the object of God's desire, but to consider that we ourselves are the object of God's desire seems unimaginable. Why? We have so many faults, failures, and shortcomings. It is necessary to clarify that the verse does not say we earn this status. 
we must simply see that we are passionately loved. Follow the line of thinking in the verse. God lives fully in Jesus, and now Jesus lives fully in us. And we will see that you, God, passionately love each of us with the same passionate love that you have for Jesus. We cannot earn this love, and in fact, we earned quite the opposite. We must cling to the cross of Christ, for it is in this purpose that he shed his all-powerful and all-conquering blood. His atonement for us brought the availability of a passionate love affair. It is in the blood of Jesus that our shortcomings are purified. So, in Christ, we have been bridged back to the Father and are the righteousness of God through Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. In John 6, verse 26, Jesus goes on to say, I have revealed to them who you are, and I will continue to make you even more real to them so that they may experience the same endless love that you have for me. For your love will now live in them, even as I live in them. Jesus told Philip, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus has revealed the Father to us because he is the manifest image of God. As our reality of God grows deeper and more true, we grow in experiencing the same endless love that Jesus has with the Father. In 1 John 4.18, it is written that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So many have learned to fear because of experiences. People, situations, and expectations have taught us to guard ourselves and keep people at a safe distance. We've decided that disappointment and pain are right on the other side. What is the disciple John telling us? Perfect love leaves no room for fear. Love involves two parties, and a deficiency in our thinking emerges regarding both. First, our experiences are causing us to doubt His perfect love toward us. This generates fear in our hearts, and we build walls around them. Since all of us are growing into experiencing perfect love, we struggle at times to experience perfect love toward Him. He is so gracious and patient with each of us. In Hebrews 4.15, the author says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. The word sympathize 
in Greek means to have compassion. Jesus has compassion for our weakness. We may even believe that Jesus in the garden prayed to let the cup pass from him because he was afraid. If we believe that his word is always true, to believe that Jesus was afraid would violate the reality that he himself was perfect love. God is love. There is no fear in love. We may try to justify our fear, but our high priest, Jesus Christ, did not fear. We should also not let this reality detract from his ability to relate to us. His ability to sympathize is not limited by what he was subjected to. His ability to understand us is not defined by his weakness. He had no weakness, yet he is still fully able to sympathize with me in my weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Jesus is the standard measuring tape for our lives. We can live fearlessly because we are loved by God. How does the reality that we are loved change our prayer life? Let me clarify that I am not intending to take away from anyone's prayer life, but rather cause us to consider our motivations. In Philippians 4, 6-7, Paul writes, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Paul is proposing prayer instead of worrying. Tell God what you need and thank Him for everything He has done. If you live your life knowing you are loved by God, what does your prayer become? If He loves you, will He not meet your needs? Does He not already promise to meet your needs? Matthew 6, 8 says, Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Psalm 23, 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In Psalm 37, 4, it's written, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Philippians 4, 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Jesus is clear about praying. It is necessary and beneficial. Let us consider what is motivating our prayers. Is it fear? Is it because we are afraid of something not working out? If so, that is because we lack the proper revelation that we are loved by God. I believe that when we properly grasp being loved by the Father, most of our prayers will become worship. Are there things we ask for? Of course. But let's never let our prayer 
be rooted in fear. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 says, He has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. The trinity of our created being, spirit, body, and soul. We see this overlap between these three elements, power, spirit, love, body, and a sound mind, soul. I believe not coincidentally. Recall Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If we have given our whole heart to loving God, how much room is left for fear? I can love him because he first loved me. Do not use this realization that unbelief or fear exists as condemnation, but rather see it as an indicator that you have not come into the full revelation that you are loved. Ask God to make his love more real to you than ever before. Lord, open my eyes so that I may see. Let's consider a prayer such as this. Father, give me eyes to see your love, a mind to accept your love, and a heart to embrace the fullness of your love for me that I find in your Son, Jesus. Don't allow the revelation of of a weakness in understanding his love as a way for the enemy to condemn guilt or shame you into being discouraged. Walk in the fullness that Jesus made available to each of us. Pursue the Father in intimacy and in a place of seated surrender. Pursue his heart and hear his whispers that draw us into willing surrender with open minds, hearts, and ears to what he is saying and doing in each of our personal lives. Realize that his love so passionately and intently pursues us while giving each believer the foundation that his presence desires to be made known to you. We are not worthy of it, but he pursues us despite that truth. When we step into that fullness, it becomes more real to us we begin to know him as a lover of every part of us. I've watched my children chase butterflies at a pool. They run in circles while laughing and chasing this butterfly. They follow its lead as if dancing and spinning around with it, always in mind. So too does our Father desire to dance and spin with us as we follow his lead and keep him in both mind and sight. Once we allow the things of this world to steal our gaze and consciousness, we prematurely stop the butterfly dance. We wander aimlessly, pursuing lesser things to replace the best thing, which is proximal intimacy. I have seen them with outstretched finger get the butterfly to land on them 
as their excitement and wonder reaches a new all-time high, their inability to stand still will cause the butterfly to fly off. In these same moments, I've seen this butterfly try to resettle on the children's fingers, but their excited movement while trying to recapture the butterfly scares it away. If they would stand still, they would find that the butterfly would land on them once again. How many times do we, in our attempts to attain our goals, become incapable of just being still? Don't chase the butterfly. Let the butterfly rest upon you. If it knows it's a safe place to land, it will rest again. Just rest and remain still. Remember also that still does not have to mean inactivity. Being at rest and still reflects the inner place of the heart as it approaches God. That concludes reading of chapter 6. Tomorrow, in the next episode, we will continue on with chapter 7, titled, Prayer That Moves Mountains. I want to thank you for taking the time, and we will see you on the next one. God bless. If it means that I'm close to you, I would trade a million lifetimes for a moment here with you.